Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. There's a lot of great things being a Yankee. If I was a Mariner, this stuff wasn't happening. You know, you go to St. Louis, you go to a Cardinal game, they clap if you gave up five runs in an inning. It doesn't matter. That's just, I mean, that's the kind of fan they are. Now, New York, it's an East Coast fan. They expect 100% all the time. Aaron Judge, uh, uh, Garrett Cole, and yeah, now you have Soto. You would love to see those guys get into the World Series. The excitement in New York when the Yankees are in the World Series is like no other city. more NY hats everywhere. I mean, in Europe. I mean, you see them when we go and stop at the ports. I don't even think these guys even know who a Yankee is, but they like the hats. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I am John Schwartz. I am the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. What is up, Nate? How's it going, John? It's cold. It's, uh... Icy. Yeah. It's uh, a weird time to be bringing a new au pair straight from Mexico into our house and having her see really winter for the first time. But, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can. It's the first time we've seen it in a while, I feel like. That's I a fair point. Had to break out the shovels. I like, forgot where they were. It had been so long. But, uh, yeah, you know, dealing with uh, New York City winter is uh, it's always fun. I actually really enjoy this time of year. I don't know. I guess I'm weird. Or maybe it's because I never had to, like you know, live up north where they have real serious winters for like six months. But I, I like getting the icy blast and having to occupy the children on snow days and stuff like that. Look, I like seasons. I agree with you. And uh, speaking of which, as we record this, we're really just about a month away now from spring training, which is crazy. It's also starting to ramp up here. We're busy. But let's go back a little bit to uh, once more in the high seas on the Celebrity Apex as part of the Legends of Baseball cruise. We have Jeff Nelson my conversation with him in front of a live audience this week, and then we'll uh, just chat about some other stuff going around with the team. How's that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. This episode of the New York Yankees official podcast is being brought to you by Celebrity Cruises, the sponsors of the Legends of Baseball Cruise. They'll be sailing from Fort Lauderdale on the beautiful Celebrity Apex for seven nights departing on December 7th, 2024. You can learn more at www.legendsofbaseballcruise.com. I was on the first sailing this past December. It was an absolutely amazing experience, as you've been hearing on our recent episodes. And the 2024 sailing will visit the stunning ports of Labadee, Haiti, Bimini in the Bahamas, Porta Plata, Dominican Republic, and Key West. Join your favorite players for some amazing events like private cocktail parties, autograph, photo sessions, trivia, an amazing beach day where you can play wiffle ball with some of your favorite legends. For more information, please be sure to visit the website www.legendsofbaseballcruise.com and book your cabin today. Jeff Nelson, thanks for joining us in the New York Yankees official podcast on board the Celebrity Apex somewhere uh, around Cuba, I guess. Yeah, you look out, you see Cuba on the right-hand side, I guess, right? It's a little different. Uh, J- Jeff, we've seen each other twice in the past few months. One time was at a Air National Guard base, you know, oh, touring yeah. some C-17 <laughs> fighter jets or whatever they were, and now we're cruising around the Western Caribbean there are some weird perks that come with being a former New York Yankee, huh? 
I don't know if they're weird. <laughs> it's uh, it. We played. I played during some good years. I mean, we won four out of five years, and I came back in '03. We lost against the Marlins, but I live in this city now, New York City. I was in Florida for a little bit, and then now back in the city. So you know, I I go everywhere in the city. I'm not one. I have a lot of friends that will say, "Oh, I'm, I don't go up past seventy. Uh, you know, forty second if they're down in the lower <laughs> in the West Village or the East Village, or I don't go down to the West Village. I mean, I go everywhere because I know I know a lot of people in the city, and you know, I, I'm big NYPD guy. I know a lot of the NYPD police officers and uh, there's a fire station right across the street from where I live. I go and go in there and eat with the guys every once in a while. So, you know, I guess, you know, from our years, those kind of things are, are cool. So, and you get to go to an Air Force base or, or things like that and you come to here. So yeah, there's a lot of great things being a Yankee. If I was a Mariner, this stuff wasn't happening. But you're kind of touching on something I want to get to. And I think I've asked it to each of the the legends who are on board and I see Ron Bloomberg in the back there. I'm going to be asking it to him in a couple of minutes too. Don't you worry. You're here with your family, obviously. And, and, and it's been special seeing you around you know, these different shore locations, interacting with them. But it's also just special seeing you guys together, you know, all, all these former players, because there is a familial, fraternal sense of the way you guys interact with each other. And I wonder, from your perspective, what makes that bond so special? What makes it so unique? Well, because I think the Yankees is such a historical organization and, and the amount of times that they've won the World Series in the history, they're most historic out of any sport. And the NY, I mean, you see more NY hats over and everywhere. I mean, in Europe, I mean, you see them when we go and stop at the ports. I don't even think these guys even know who a Yankee is, but they like the hats. We see each other, you know, we, we you don't want to say battled together, but we battled on a field together uh, against other teams. We had great chemistry, uh, a lot of great friends. The Yankees do such a great job of keeping everybody involved as far as appearances at the stadium or different events like Old Timers Day, or they also have fantasy camps that they have in November and January. So, you know, we may not keep in touch with each other on the off times, but times that we do see each other in these events, it's like we, you know, we just saw each other last week. So it's a special camaraderie and I, I, all sports. And I think around baseball, it's that way. But with the Yankees, it's the extra special. We saw for a couple of days here, just a wide eyed Oswaldo Cabrera. I mean, as, as wide eyed as some of the fans who bought this package from Expedia Cruises who have been part of the Legends of Baseball careers. You were once a young player. You were once, you know, kind of staring at Mariners who would come around town and you would meet them and everything like that. As you see that in his eyes, how special is that for you? Well, it's nice to see because it really doesn't happen as often as it used to. You know, I think now the player nowadays don't really know the players from back in the, whether it's the old days or even the 2000s or 90s. I mean, being in broadcasting, whether it's with the Marlins or the Yankees, you talk to a lot of the guys and they don't know who I am or anybody else is. They don't, they don't know the history. I grew up in Baltimore, so I was a big Oriole fan, and I knew the history of the game. You know, when I was in with the Mariners early in the early 90s before I became a Yankee, we went to Yankee Stadium, and I caught two old-timers days. And I sat in the dugout and watched. And even when I was with the Yankees, Mr. Steinbrenner would make sure that the old-timers would dress with us. And we had a we didn't have a very big locker room, so no, we had that, tons that, that, of that old guys. clubhouse at Yankee Stadium yeah. was not exactly luxurious. Yeah, so we had ton. We had all the old timers dressing in our lockers. I mean, it was a, it was a great experience, and we were in awe of what that was behind us. The guys that came behind us and played. 
Nowadays, it's a little different, but it's nice to see, you know, Cabrera, the way he sees us. And I think, you know, seeing Michael Kay, myself around during the season, he's such a great kid and you root for guys like that. Uh, he's one of those super utility guys now that can play everywhere. You hope that he has a spot on the team. There's not too many guys now, that, not like when we played, that we, that we knew the past players. Yeah, there's a lot of times that I feel, and, and I don't say this with any kind of judgment, I, I, they don't grow up watching the game in the same way that people from your generation did. Well, we didn't have a video games and we didn't have all the stuff that they have now. I mean, they, you know, I guess because of camera phones, they really don't go out when they're on the road. Uh, they pretty much stay in the room. Uh, you know, it's a lot different in that sense, too, because all the meals are cooked for them as well. They don't have to go out and find lunch somewhere. Uh, you don't see many of them out in restaurants or, you know, out in maybe the hotel bar or whatever, having a drink after the game. And we did all that because that's that we didn't have that ability at the stadiums. So it is a little bit different in, in that sense. But they practice differently. They're at the park a lot earlier. Uh, it's just... I, I guess, and even even the coaches, you know, we had our coaches were the coaches on the team. Now these guys have coaches off off of baseball. They go home and they work out and, and around baseball or whatever sport twelve months of the year. And, you know, we gave it a rest, and that's uh, you know, I don't know if you know it was good for us. You know, I can't see playing baseball twelve months a year. You, I mean, we were playing enough at all the way till the end of October. But that's a lot of the game has changed and a lot of the history has changed and a lot of the players nowadays don't know some of the past players. You know what it's like to win in New York. And and look, I'm certain winning anywhere is amazing. But you know what it's like to win in New York. As you're around these guys and as you know how much goes into it, how much do you want it for them? How much do you want them to get? And I don't mean this as like being a homer or whatever. I mean just literally being a human who's done it. How much do you want those guys to experience it? I think you want it for the city and you want it for the organization more. I mean, I want it for the players, but you also want it for the city. You also want it for the organization. It's a great organization. They have one since 2009. So, you know, yes, I would like all players experience a World Series, whether it's a Yankee or another team. Even some of my friends, Ken Griffey Jr., one of the best players that I've ever played with, never has been to a World Series. The Mariners have never been to a World Series, and I played eight years there. You know, you would love to see the organization experience that. I would love to see the Yankees experience that again and win again because it's just great for the city and it's great for baseball. Aaron Judge, uh, uh, Garrett Cole, and now you have Soto. You would love to see those guys get into the World Series. The excitement in New York when the Yankees are in the World Series is like no other city. So that's what you would like to see again. When you and Tina Martinez got traded to come over, you could see, I mean, you had just played them in the division series, obviously. You could see, though, this is a team that was on the rise. What were the immediate vibes that you sensed with the new team? Growing up in Baltimore, I was not a Yankee fan at all. So, uh, and even when I was a Mariner, I was not a Yankee fan. I loved pitching at the stadium. I thought it was, I mean, I loved the fans. It was just mayhem every single day. But, you know, we were, I was actually out in Seattle and I don't know if they do it in New York. Seattle, they have caravans and, and the fan base in Seattle is really large. I mean, you go to Idaho, you go to Canada, uh, you go down to Portland, Oregon. Uh, you go even out to Alaska, and Alaska I've never I haven't been to, and that was the last time that they did a caravan. And it was Dan Wilson and myself went to Alaska, and I actually got traded. I had one more day. I was in Juneau to promote the Mariners, and I got a call from Bob Watson and uh, Woody Woodward was the GM for the Mariners, and they said that Tino and I got traded to the Yankees. Now, you know, you were a little surprised because we thought we were going to come back and try to, you know, even go further. We got beat by the Indians in ALCS. We were like, okay, maybe we have a chance to go to the World Series. 
But you get traded to the Yankees, and you knew, hey, they just were in the playoffs. We beat them, so I loved pitching in Yankee Stadium. So it wasn't a, a it wasn't a bad thing, you know. And you know, when I went to spring training in '96, the first year for Legends Field, now it's uh, Steinbrenner Field. You know, putting on the pinstripes for the first time that was pretty special. And you knew the history. I mean, I knew you know who played there and and how many World Series that they've won and and all the history. But just from you know, even the Orioles and the Yankees were a, were, were a good rivalry. Uh, but it was it was pretty special. And, and uh, you know, Tino was pumped up as well. I played with Tino since '89 all the way to 2000. We were on the same team every single year. So it, it wasn't one of those things that I was uncomfortable. It was more I was surprised. But it was pre- pleasantly surprised. But but I mean, to your point about growing up an Orioles fan, is there just like this? Well, I guess I like the Yankees now. Well, you had to. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, I, you know, now you hated you hated the Mariners and you hated the Orioles. So you know, you had to, you had to love the Yankees. And you know, I always did well against them when when I pitched against the Yankees. So coming over there uh, was extra special. And you know, Joe Torre was his first year. There was a lot of guys, and even some of the coaching coaching staff was a lot their first years as well, first year in, in, at Legends Field over in Tampa. So there was a lot of firsts, and, and it was exciting to get to play with uh, even some Hall of Famers and, and what the Yankees, you, you could tell that a lot of guys like myself, when I didn't, when I wasn't a Yankee, why they were hated, because they just had an attitude and, and an aura. It was, it was a really big confidence in themselves that they knew they could win. And, and even in the minor leagues, I mean, I hated the guys in the minor leagues, because I was in Williamsport and AA, and they were in Albany. And double A, and and you hated them then. But once you put on the uniform, you knew that that's that's why they just carried themselves in a certain way that no other team does. I asked Michael Kay a version of this, and I'm curious as from the player perspective, I want to know your side here because last year, 2023, so much went wrong, and you you can look at his excuses or you can look at his reality. You know, if Carlos Rodon, if Nestor Cortez, if Anthony Rizzo, if Aaron Judge are healthy. If Giancarlo Stanton is healthy, is that team a playoff team? And then do we ask the questions maybe about how the team was built and all those things? Is it okay to just say like, yeah, you know, sometimes stuff happens? And, or do you have to take a, nope, there's no excuses and they lost? You know, there's no moral victories and there's no excuses of why, why teams lose. I mean, whether they stayed healthy or not, you still don't know if they were going to win. They would have had a better chance. Teams nowadays and even players, some players are just prone to get injured. I'll go back to my point about all the months that they play baseball for. I mean, these guys don't take a break. You know, when we stopped in October, if we weren't didn't make the playoffs, I mean, we didn't do anything or pick up a ball until January. And, you know, these guys are right after the season, maybe taking a week off and they're throwing again and then throwing off the mound or they're hitting in the batting cage. So they never get a break. Is that part of why they're injured? I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, uh, guys tend to don't play through injury anymore. You know, we used to play through injuries because the money wasn't that as great as it is now. Now they're like, you know, it used to be kind of a negative on yourself if you're like, oh, I spent two weeks on the on the neck back then, DL or IL. That would go against you for your next year contract. Now it doesn't matter. They'd rather you say, okay, go on the IL for 10 days or 15 days, rest up, and we're not going to think about that time when it comes time contract. So there's a lot to go into it. We only have a few minutes, so it, you know, I could spend hours on the reason why they, they, this, they, they could get hurt or, or what they're going on. But you know, if they stay healthy, they're, they're a great team, but they haven't been able to do that lately. I think 
One of the more interesting things that I feel like in my career I've noticed talking to baseball players is what I think sometimes passes for an aloofness maybe is really just a practicality. You guys understand that you put in the work and sometimes bleep happens, right? And, and what I sometimes go back to, and people who listen to the podcast have probably heard me say this, there's a lot of times after, you know, let's say a, a Michigan football game where my brother will call me and say, how could that happen? Why that happened? How'd they screw that up? And what I always say is the answer is because the other guys are trying too, you know? And sometimes that's just what it is, is that it's not that you didn't care and it's not that you didn't work hard enough. It's that both teams are trying. Uh, first of all, I wonder if you agree with that. Secondly, is yeah, that, guys is, are human. Yeah, uh, but it, it's, it's not a moral failing necessarily if you lose. No, but if you're a Yankee fan and you're a Yankee and if you lose, it's not, uh, you know, you're supposed to win every single day, right? I mean, the fans, they, they it, it's just, that's just part of New York. You know, anywhere else, you know, okay, hey, hey, you had a, you know, you go to St. Louis, you go to a Cardinal game, they clap if you gave up five runs in an inning. It doesn't matter. That's just, I mean, that's the kind of fan they are. Now, New York, it's an East Coast fan. They expect 100% all the time. That's one thing that was, you know, coming to New York and understanding how tough it is as far as not just being on the field, but some of the stuff off the field. You got to realize you have to have thick skin. You have to realize that you're not going to be 100% all the time. Uh, you expect 100% out of yourself, but you're not going to be able to give that. And like you mentioned, I mean, you're playing against a team that's you know, or a hitter. You're pitching against a hitter that's trying to hit, you know, the, the same that you're trying to strike them out. Uh, but it, that's the best part, about, I think, about the East Coast and New York, that they expect a lot. The expectation level is higher than anywhere else. And you have to expect that out of yourself as well. You should have a higher expectation when you're playing for an organization like the Yankees. Speaking of those higher expectations, you come over in 96, you win. 97, great team, did very well. 98, maybe the best team ever. And then 2000, to skip ahead for one second, 2000, you have the Subway Series, which is probably as exciting as anything could be in the city of New York for baseball fans. There's sometimes I feel like that 1999 team is just almost forgotten in some ways, like this ho-hum four-game sweep in the World Series. I imagine that wasn't your experience there, that it was ho-hum, though. No, I mean, you go two years in a row, and then you win two years in a row, and we did it with a different team. You, you know, 98, we had David Wells and Graham Lloyd. Next thing you know, they get traded the first day of spring training, and we get Roger Clemens, and that was Roger Clemens's first World Series. So, you know, sometimes, I guess, it gets overlooked by other people, and we don't. I mean, we won three in a row after that. My favorite one was, again, in 2000, because we beat the Mets. So, you know, I just loved the... Uh, the two teams in the same city and the Subway Series. But you'd look on that run. I mean, I was talking with Cecil Fielder today and, and even the 96 team, the one that he was on. I mean, we, we just had great guys, great players, but also great guys. And, you know, I remember when we had the reunion for 96 and guys were coming out of the center field wall and we were taking our position. I guess you kind of take for granted that uh, the kind of team we had, and then you look around and all the guys that are on the mound or you look around at the guys in, in different positions, you're like, wow, we really had a good team. And then, and then we look at ourselves and I think, well, I think we can beat both of these teams that are in the dugout right now. Those are the special moments. I mean, even in 98, and you know, which I, I think is the best team ever, yeah, you know, I was also in Seattle in 01 when we won 116, and that, 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 don't even, that doesn't even count because we didn't go to the World Series or win anything. But the Yankees have always put, Mr. Summer always put the best team that he could on the field. And I don't think we ever took it for granted. But I think nowadays we probably look back and understand what kind of teams we had in those years. To see a perfect game in 98 
and then to see David Cohn do it in 1999. Obviously, like, look, you're a relief pitcher. That's a day off for you. <laughs> Pretty good, I guess. But what's it like to see that level of excellence? And I know that there's randomness, and I know that there's luck, sure. But that level of excellence for a day. Yeah, you know, and you look, and even, you know, I got I had the privilege to call the one in Oakland with uh, Ryan Rucco and with Hermans. And if you look at the three pitchers that did it, they don't have like overpowering stuff. I mean, David Cohn was later in his career. David Wells threw maybe 90 miles an hour. And even Domingo Herman was basically a change up fastball. Uh, you know, so it wasn't overpowering stuff. Uh, it's amazing to be able to get 27 ounce, not walk a guy, and there was no errors. The superstition part of the game starts playing a part. I mean, down in the bullpen, we were so far away that we just mess around for the first five innings because then after that, then we start getting locked in a little bit as a late inning reliever. We find ourselves doing the same things and not trying to mess up anything. I mean, we don't want to move. We don't want to, uh, you know, try to just, we think that we're affecting the game. If we like get up and get a glass of water or go to the bathroom or whatever it is, we're like, okay, we got to stay here. And I found that I found myself doing the same thing of broadcasting a game. I was like yelling at Meredith, you can't move. You can't leave. You got to sit right here until this thing is over. Uh, so it, it's just, it's amazing, amazing feat. I mean, how many times has it happened? What, 20 sometimes? Just to think about how many years baseball has gone on. And, you know, there's only, there's been four of them in New York history. And I've seen three of them. Pretty wild. I love every time when I watch players come back for Old Timers Day and you see the conversations and you see kind of like the camaraderie. What I always find interesting, though, is, you know, because it, it does kind of, you know, people do kind of stick with their groups in, in a little bit. When you start seeing guys younger than you showing up at Old Timers Day, what's the sensation like of looking at them? I mean, just like, you, wait, you're here now? Uh, it makes you feel old. It definitely makes you feel old. The guys from 09 showing up, you know, you had Nick Swisher. Uh, I think Matsui was, Hideki Matsui came. I'm trying to think if there was anybody else from the 09. Other than that, I mean, it was 2000, so we still have bragging rights, of, you know, for that, for that. But it's nice to see some of the young guys, you know, and they get to experience what, we, what we've experienced. And, you know, hopefully, I know some fans like the game. I don't mind the game, but it, it's exciting just to, just to see – and the Yankees are one of the few teams that do it. And we get to put the uniform on again and, and hopefully uh, the fans will say, oh, I remember back in 2000 or 98 or, or even in 09, and, and hopefully they get back to that. Is it kind of like high school, though? Because m my memory of high school is when you're a sophomore in high school, the juniors and seniors are the oldest people in the world, and the freshmen are babies, and they will always be babies no matter what. I can go back to like my high school now and see someone who was a year younger than me, and they're children, right? When you see some of those 09 guys, is that just like, man, you guys are kids. What are you doing here? No, I know because they're part of the, they're part of the Yankee family. You know, we don't we know we're older than them. I mean, I, I mean, Ron, ask Ron when he asked them, say, what does it feel when you see Nelson and Rivera and all those young guys come up? You know, it's all, it's just part of the family. You know, it's nice to see everyone. The Yankees do such a great job of bringing everybody back. Uh, you get to see guys like I never played with a lot of those guys on 09. I mean, it was only Pettit, Rivera, Posada. And Jeter, you know, they were the only four that were still around when I played with these guys and against these guys. So, you know, it's nice to see them, you know, start bringing back some of the ones that are in the early 2000s. And, you know, fans, fans like to see that. Mm -hmm. You know, the fans also like to see the ones that win the World Series and then like a lot of the old-time players. So, you know, I think that's more of what old-timers 
events is about. These opportunities you have now, these parts of your life. Over the last few days, we were in Key West. We were in Belize. We were in Cozumel. We were in the Cayman Islands. This isn't certainly why you play baseball or anything like that, but how much do you take advantage personally of the opportunities that a life in baseball has given you? Yeah, you're blessed. You know, I, I've always give people my time. I think that's one thing. You know, I'm in New York, so I'm 6'6", so it's pretty hard to hide. Uh, you know, even when I see someone tall, I always look at them a few times and say, oh, I wonder if they did, you know, were they actors or sports or whatever. And, you know, you walk around New York City and, and it's fun. I mean, if somebody recognizes you, I always give them time. Even people outside of this group that are on the ship, they... Yeah, you know, I even had one come up that uh, was a Marlin fan and said, oh, I listen to you on the radio or, or watch you on TV. So one thing, I enjoy talking to people and I, I give them, you know, give them 30 seconds of your time or whatever it is. So that that's fun. You know, I was blessed to play a game for a long time and I, I was blessed to play for a team that won a lot of World Series. And, and it's not a bad perk to be, be, a, be a Yankee or ex-Yankee that, that's won the World Series and I think the greatest city. So I think right now, let's open it up a little bit here. We have, we have some guests in the room who are joining us here. If anyone wants to come up and ask a question to Jeff, come right up and introduce yourself and uh, go ahead. Hi, Ed Blum. Jeff, uh, I'm interested in your take on the transition between, say, 30 years ago when pitchers would pitch complete games, pitch 150 pitches, where now you see it pretty much limited to about 100 pitches. And yet, injuries seem to be as much or more in that period of time, why do you think that the training then is different than it is now, perhaps, that pitchers such as a Garrett Cole, you'd want to see go nine innings, are not able to go that length? Well, I think that, like you mentioned, the training is different. They don't run as much as we used to. I think that's a big part of it. They don't do a lot of leg exercises to strength, strengthen their lower half. When a pitcher gets tired, your lower half gets tired first. And once that gets tired, then your arm gets tired. And with them not running as much as they used to, whether it's long distance or sprints, now everything they think it's a sprint work. You know, everything's sprint. You know, but pitchers, it's a marathon because especially starters, you got to go deep into the game. And the only way to do that is to be strong with your lower half. Uh, I don't know why that is. I've talked to trainers and asked them why guys don't run. They wish they, they, wish they did. You know, they just, with the money the way it is, I think the money has changed how far pitchers go in a game. I know when Ron played, you know, it was, hey, there's not a reliever coming in the game. In order for me to make money, I need to complete a game. And that's the way it was back then. Then it got a little bit different as when I played. You know, guys still wanted to go a complete game, but then bullpen started to be, be a big part of it. You still had the 110, 115, 120. I think these guys can do that. They just have to, you know, they just have to train a little bit more. There's only a few of those guys now around that can maybe give you 110 to 115 and not have any effect. I think organizations just see that, oh, we have to take care of the arm. But I agree that injuries are way higher now or way up more now than they are ever been. I think one thing, I don't know how many people have ever been to a spring training game. Of all the things, if I want to play the back in my day game, I miss so much. And I know it was an insurance nightmare. But watching the starting pitcher who would get taken out after two innings in a spring training game, then running laps uh, along the yeah. warning track. <laughs> and spring training's different too. You, you know, these guys, you know, I'd said we didn't pick up a ball until January, and a lot of starters did too. Spring training's different now. I mean, spring training, we use that to get ready for opening day. 
they don't use that for opening day. If they say if a guy goes deep into the game or, or go, the team goes deep into the season, they're like, oh, these guys threw a lot. We're going to have to take it easy. First perfect example with the Phillies, Aaron Nola and Wheeler. Uh, they went in the World Series. They, they threw a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say a lot because that's what you're supposed to. They're like, okay, we're going to take it easy with them in spring training. These guys left spring training throwing about 60 pitches. They used all of April, which is part of the season, to get ready to go into May, which made no sense to me. You know, we had pitchers, our starters would leave, and they're, they're at 100 to 110 pitches. So once they once their first start, they're ready to go. Now, now it's okay, hey, if you give me five opening day, hey, we're good. So that has changed as well as far as how guys train in spring training and go through those six weeks. Hi, Steve Ritterman. Jeff, let me ask you a question. It seems to me that in the last 20 years of the game, no job has changed more than your job. To me, in this age of analytics, a game analyzed by Kenny Singleton bears very little relationship to a game that you or David Cohn did. Good thing, bad thing? Well, I'm more on the Ken Singleton side. David, David is a great announcer, and I like listening to him. He, he, he expresses a lot of numbers, or he'll give out a lot of numbers, a lot of analytics. I think some fans like that. Uh, I don't like doing numbers. You know, I'd rather explain the game and give you a little insight of what's going on in a player's head or, you know, or even look forward, say, hey, this could happen. Uh, or, hey, I think they should get up the bullpen, or this is, the guy, this is how this hitter's trying to approach this guy. This is how the pitcher should approach the hitter. They got to watch swings, or the, you know, they got to realize what the pitcher's doing to them. I'm not a big numbers guy. You know, I think analytics, there's room for it. Um, but I'm, I'd rather explain the game. I'd rather be, you know, my first game with Yes was with Ken Singleton. I grew up a Ken Singleton fan when I was little, playing, you know, emulating him in the backyard with wiffle ball. But, you know, I don't know. I, I think the old school fan probably doesn't care one bit about what numbers are and, and, you know, how many times this guy hits a certain pitch or the exit velocity or whatever. I, you know, I don't care about that either. If it gets out, it gets out. I don't care how hard, how hard it's hit. But, you know, you know, some some fans are into that. I think they're trying to market it to a younger crowd or just try to get them interested in the game a little bit more. And sometimes it's a little bit too much. Ken Schwartz. Thanks, Jeff. As one of the best setup men ever, you had a curveball that, uh, particularly against right-handed hitters, was essentially unhittable. Well, thank you. Sometimes it was hit. Well, <laughs> so my question is, when you came in at times when you didn't have command of the outstanding curveball, how did you adjust? Uh, you uh, prayed a lot on the mound saying, okay, I got to try to get through this, you know, Sometimes you didn't have your great breaking ball, especially, you know, we threw a lot. I mean, we were up three, four days in a row sometimes, and, you know, we were up in the bullpen. That's something that I think they do well now is when guys get up there in the game, and we would get up and get sit down, get up again, sit down, all dependent on uh, the starter or the reliever. I had to use my fastball as well. I threw 93, 94. I had a good moving fastball inside the righties away to lefty, so I had to use that as well. If I didn't have, a, if I didn't have my slider, then... You know, I would have to hope that they were going to get out, make outs with my fastball. So I only had two pitches, and, and that's what I got away with. And most of the times I did have the slider. Sometimes it would hang there, and then I, I would get, I, they would, I would pay for it. You know, it would probably get hit hard somewhere. But luckily, most of the times I did have that, and I didn't, I didn't worry about it too much. 
You hear that, kids? If you keep working on it, someday you too can be on the Celebrity Apex traveling around the Western Yes, <laughs> exactly. Now they call it a sweeper. <laughs> there it is. Well, Which I'll never say that either. Uh, fair enough, man. Jeff, thank you so much for doing this today. We appreciate it. Thanks to all of you for your great questions, and uh, enjoy the rest My of the trip. My pleasure. Thank you. Hi, this is Oswaldo Cabrera. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. This episode of the New York Yankees official podcast is being brought to you by Celebrity Cruises, the sponsors of the Legends of Baseball Cruise. They'll be sailing from Fort Lauderdale on the beautiful Celebrity Apex for seven nights departing on December 7th, 2024. You can learn more at www.legendsofbaseballcruise.com. I was on the first sailing this past December. It was an absolutely amazing experience, as you've been hearing on our recent episodes. And the 2024 sailing will visit the stunning ports of Labadee, Haiti, Bimini in the Bahamas, Porta Plata, Dominican Republic, and Key West. Join your favorite players for some amazing events like private cocktail parties, autograph, photo sessions, trivia, an amazing beach day where you can play wiffle ball with some of your favorite legends. For more information, please be sure to visit the website www.legendsofbaseballcruise.com and book your cabin today. Hi, this is Jose Trevino. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Nate, I love Jack Nelson. <laughs> You guys didn't get into his uh, his tattoos, though. That was the only thing missing from that conversation. <laughs> I, didn't know I, I, I didn't know if that was uh, limited to the people on the uh, Celebrity Apex. But yeah, Jeff, uh, when we were in Cozumel, which was the day of the big beach party, and uh, you know all the Legends of Baseball Cruise members, it's a private beach party, and they had all these water toys set up and everything like that. And Jeff and his two daughters were out there, and you weren't expecting a full back tattoo that uh, <laughs> Jeff was rocking there. But, uh, you know, understandably... In his current role as a Yes Network analyst, <laughs> that doesn't come up too often. <laughs> but I'll tell you, and again, I, I know I'm a broken record when I when I say this stuff. But Jeff Nelson doesn't have to be out there, and he and he talked a lot about this in our conversation. You know, he chooses to participate in like the world of a former player in a sense. He wants to do those appearances. He wants to, you know, as we mentioned, to go up to the Air National Guard base and uh, you know inaugurate the new C-17 with the Yankees logo on the wingtip. He wants to go to firehouses and police precincts and, and, all, and all that stuff. And the funny thing to me is, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just because, you know, he, he kind of always had an intimidating presence on the mound, but he never struck me, I guess, as a guy who would be that interested in that kind of post-baseball life. But instead, it really seems like he, he relishes it. He really loves the idea of, I'm a former baseball player. I worked so hard for this. And now, here are the fruits of it. Yeah, I mean, he, he's dedicated his life to the sport, and uh, it's taken him all over the world and uh, to a lot of really interesting places, and I, I think he relishes it. And for me, it's it brings back good memories hearing him, you know, whether it's on the broadcast or here on the podcast or whatever. He was just such a, uh, a steady hand during that late 90s dynasty. Um, he was so dependable. And, you know, he's got like kind of a, a self-effacing, he doesn't, really brag about his career or anything like that but he was damn good like he was he was a big part of those championship teams i mean that bridge to mariano once mariano became the closer after 96 was just so key and uh it kind of gets you know overlooked sometimes for 
good reason, I guess, you know, when you have a team full of, you know, future Hall of Famers and, and all-stars and, and that sort of thing. But those guys were huge, you know, Nelly and, and you know, whether it was Graham Lloyd or Ramiro Mendoza or Mike Stanton or, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few, but, you know, those guys were key and, and he was a huge, huge part of that. So I understand him wanting to, to lean into his, his baseball background because he was, he was really special. I've tried doing this story a bunch of times. I've spoken to a bunch of relievers about it, and I've never really felt like I got anywhere with it necessarily to the point that I would keep going. But there is nothing more interesting to me in baseball than the idea of a reliever, especially now that like kind of the idea of the lefty one-out guy is over because everyone needs to do three batters. But it's just, you know, look, I mean, these are the Bronx Bombers. You know, we, we know what butters the bread here in, uh, in Yankee Stadium. And as I say that, obviously it's worth pointing out the only – unanimous Hall of Famer in history is Mariano Rivera, closer. But forgetting about that, because Mariano was otherworldly in a lot of ways, you just think of like the work that goes into Aaron Judge's life, the work that goes into Giancarlo Stanton, Juan Soto, all these guys, these huge sluggers, Anthony Volpe, all the stuff he has to do to you know be able to go left and go right and steal bases and all these things. And I am not suggesting, I promise you, I'm not suggesting that it's easy to be a relief pitcher at all. There's just something so funny to me about this idea that like, my job is maybe to throw 12 pitches today. (laughs) Um, And if I do that really well, it's a really lucrative life, more so now than ever, not just in terms of all baseball salaries being higher, but because baseball teams are recognizing the value of middle relief and late relief and all that stuff in, in ways that the money always used to just go to closers, for example. But no one, I don't think, grows up aspiring, I say this very respectfully, to have Jeff Nelson's role. But pretty nice life. Yeah, you'll <laughs> yeah, take it. I don't it. think he's regretting it. No, I mean, being a major leaguer is, being a major leaguer, it's, it's pretty special. You know, I think I had a, a long conversation with uh, Clay Holmes recently, and one of the things we talked about was kind of along these lines, you know, like do relievers, do closers get, the respect that they deserve and Yankees fans we were obviously spoiled for so many years like we would come in to spring training and there would be you know articles written about this position battle or you know we still need to plug this hole or how's this new guy gonna fit there were never any articles written about the closer because it was just a given like Mariano Rivera is your closer and there's nothing to worry about it's a more difficult job than I think maybe a lot of people give it credit for because to me the hardest part is the mental toughness that it takes to overcome a bad outing when you're a reliever and you know it might be three days or five days or something before you get a chance to redeem yourself. You know, if you come up with the bases loaded and you strike out, like, man, you're steamed, but you're going to come up again three innings later. Or, you know, if it's the end of the game, you're going to come up again tomorrow and you're going to have a chance to, to do something better. But Boy, it's it's really, really tough, I think. I think it's even more than that, though. I mean, because your point about the batter is correct, but I'll, I'll put it a little bit differently. Like, let's say Garrett Cole. You know, Garrett Cole is obviously very analytical and very intense, but also very analytical about his starts afterward. And yeah, if he gives up a couple home runs, he's probably also throwing 100 other pitches. And he's the type of person who would say to you, yes, these were the mistakes and these were the good things that happened. And I, I need to, you know, limit the mistakes, but there's a lot of good that happened in there. Whereas conversely, if he doesn't make any mistakes, he, that's usually when he trashes his outing and says uh, whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you're a reliever and you give up a home run, you've objectively failed essentially, right? I mean, like, unless you're in mop-up duty or unless the game, you're, you have such a big lead that who cares? Like, if you are a, a, any kind of leverage reliever and you give up a run, a home run, you failed. 
And you can't look at like, well, I threw three good pitches and one bad pitch. That sample size doesn't work in that way. And to have to go home after that. I know I, I started this conversation by kind of like joking. It's such an easy lifestyle. And, and, and I never think that. I don't believe that. I mean, th- that's not my impression. If you have to drive home after pitching one inning, but surrendering the lead, mm-hmm. I mean, you got you to be real strong to get to bed that night. Yeah. And, you know, with a middle reliever, if you do do your job well and successfully. Who like, notices? Who, right. It's almost like being an umpire or a referee. Like, you know, you're, you're doing well when nobody's talking about you. So, you know, these guys, for, for them to do well means like stringing together two or three weeks of uh, hardly giving up anything. And still, you know, like Jeff Nelson was never an all-star as a Yankee, despite appearing in like over 70 games a lot of years and just being, uh, like I said, just such a a huge part of what those teams were doing. It's in some ways, you know, a little bit of a thankless or unheralded job compared to some of the other roles on a baseball team, but certainly important for sure. Never an all-star, but I mean, a huge part of four World Series championship teams. I mean, honestly, like... Is he as important as Derek Jeter? Is he as important as Mark? Like, who cares? A baseball roster is then 25 men, now 26 men for a reason. It's not supposed to be about one guy. It's everybody pulling the rope in the right direction, in a sense. And how important is Jeff Nelson? I don't know if you can answer that. I can say that important enough. They kept bringing him back. They kept giving him high leverage spots on four World Series championship teams. Yeah, I mean, it's not about being better than, you know, your teammates, but are you better than the eighth inning guy in Detroit? Absolutely. The eighth inning guy in Toronto, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that was what the Yankees, you know, were great at, you know, assembling teams where even those, quote unquote, you know, lesser spots, the, the middle relief guys or whatever, they still treated them so importantly and brought in guys who could do the job. And... um it's always interesting too how guys where their paths take them. You know, he's he was from Baltimore, came up with Seattle, and uh, after that '95 series, ends up joining the Yankees. Uh, you just you know you never know. It's like he could have been drafted by some NL West team and had a completely different life and not have been on a cruise with you in 2023. And honestly, the opportunity to be on a cruise with me is what you do this for. You know, <laughs> I, I do find it so interesting. You know, look, we have two baseball teams in town. One of them has what's universally regarded as just one of the best broadcast booths in sports. The Mets booth is respected throughout the league. But like the one thing about the Mets booth is that it's always kind of the same three guys or two of the three guys, but they don't bring in different guys ever. It's always Gary, Keith, and or Ron, essentially. You know, the Yankees do it differently. You know, you generally have Michael Kay there, though sometimes you have other Ryan Ruka or whoever doing play-by-play, but you have a lot of different analysts, one of whom, of course, is Jeff Nelson. And, you know, it's funny because we were talking a little bit about I don't think it's a surprise if you listen to any bit of that interview that Jeff Nelson is not a numbers guy, not an analytics guy. And I think that I'm much more so than he is. And I, and I really do enjoy the David Cohn broadcasts where there is a lot of focus on the numbers and everything like that. But I like the way that, you know, a, a game that Jeff Nelson's on the mic for, you can, as a fan, you can gain something different from the experience of listening to him than you can from David Cohn or frankly, that you would from Ron Darling or Keith. Like, Different isn't bad. It's just different. And, and, I, and I think that it's really interesting and good, I think, that the Yes Network gives a lot of different perspectives. A, a John Flaherty game is different from a David Cohn game, is different from a Jeff Nelson game, and so on and so forth. I think it's fun to listen to him, and I think it's been interesting to watch as he has become a bigger part of these broadcasts and everything like that, and a bigger part of the broadcast team. You know, because again, <laughs> we keep going back to it. You know, it's not like Jeff Nelson was the most domineering personality of these four World Series championship teams he was on. I feel like we're hearing him certainly a lot more now than we did when he was playing. Yeah, but I, I think that 
you know, there's maybe something to uh, being a reliever that lends itself well to being a broadcaster because, I mean, let's face it, when you're a bullpen guy, you spend a lot of time just out there like chatting and watching the game and you're thinking watching a lot about of baseball. It. You are. And, um, you know, he's able to articulate it really well. And, uh, you know, he's got plenty of stories. I, I love when Nelly does the broadcast. I, I think he does a great job. And even though, you know, I tend to, I think when I'm reading or writing stories about baseball, I tend to steer a little bit clear of stuff that's really heavily analytical. It's just not my, you know, cup of tea necessarily. But on the broadcasts, I do like the David Cohn style in that Cohn does a great job of like putting numbers into context. Like he doesn't hit you over the head with too many of them where it just, you kind of glaze over them. He kind of picks and chooses his spots and they make sense and they help you you know, see the game a different way or, or understand it a little more fully. But Jeff Nelson, he's just like, he's totally in tune with what's going on down there on the field. He's got a great perspective on what's going on in players' heads and what the manager is thinking. So, uh, you know, like you said, they bring different styles, but I enjoy them all. Yeah. And, you know, as we mentioned also in the interview, I, I, I will echo everything Nelson said. I mean, the guy's six six. It's hard to miss him when you're on the street. It's really hard to miss him when you're on a cruise ship. But <laughs> just another example of a guy who every single person who wanted a little bit of his time, you know, he was so generous and forthcoming with it. And, you know, certainly he was there with his family. And I'm sure there were times when he would have enjoyed uh, no one coming up to talk to him, but never did was anything but graceful with, with, with the guests on the cruise. And God, I mean, I know I keep going back to this and back to this and back to this and you know, it's been a month now since we're back from this this trip, but it still feels like yesterday in some ways. But it's a pretty fantastic experience. And going back and listening to these interviews, you know, the one thing that keeps on coming clear to me is that certainly the paying guests had a a great time, but man, the players had a terrific time too. And and it, it is part of again the life of a Yankee. It's part of the reward for a lot of work, a lot of time in the spotlight, a lot of time when everything you do is getting picked apart by people like us who maybe, you know, don't know as much as we think we do sometimes, but you persevered, you live through it and you're a good sport about it. There's a lot of cool things that come of it. And I'm, I'm on fire with the segues today. I will use that as a segue to, instead of a old time Yankee, if you will, sorry, Jeff, but one of the newest Yankees, Marcus Stroman, who just showed up. And the funny thing is, I think a lot of what I just said I find interesting about Stroman is, look, first things first, it needs to be said about him, because I think there's a little bit of narrative that's going in the other direction, and I apologize if I'm about to do this too. Marcus Stroman's an all-star pitcher who makes their rotation a lot better. But the reason I bring this up is he's also a guy who, whether on social media or anywhere else, engages with fans in ways that just weren't possible when Jeff Nelson was playing. That stuff yeah. didn't exist. And it's funny to think about, I start wondering as I'm doing this stuff, what post-playing career is going to look like for those guys who already have a baseline of interacting with fans in a regular people on social media in a sense in ways different from happened before you're starting to see it with you know i mean the proliferation of podcasts and other you know media opportunities for recently retired players you know these guys are getting their kind of kind of their feet wet uh while they're still playing and just in the, in the way that they interact with fans like you said and they you know are getting a taste of how fans are able to interact back with them so it's interesting but i mean aside from all that stuff i'm just really excited i think like soto the Yankees are bringing in another guy who's just like an ultra competitor. 
in Marcus Stroman, including so, against each other, mind you. I love that old clip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I hope to ask him about it when he whenever he does uh, the press conference <laughs> here. I just uh, you know I, I'm so excited for this season uh, to see these new guys in pinstripes in the Yankee dugout interacting with their teammates, trying to help this team win ball games. I love the Yankees' move so far this offseason. I feel like it's setting us up for a really fun 2024. I think since we started this podcast, I've always been pretty clear. I'm a big personality guy. I like players with big personalities. Marcus Stroman has a big personality. Yeah. That personality at times does rub people you know, in the wrong way sometimes, but man, he is uh, he's fiery, and he's fun, and he's a guy you want on your side. And I think that, again, he he has shown that he can pitch in New York. He has shown that he isn't afraid of big stages and things like that. And I think he's going to be fun. I think he's going to be a great compliment to some of the other arms that this team has right now. You know, I love the idea of him and Garrett chatting and uh, finding yeah. out the things that they can unlock in each other, mm-hmm. you know, all, all, all that stuff. I like Stroman. I, I think, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I guess some people have pointed out that he's got not great numbers at Yankee Stadium. Well, now he's got the Yankees lineup behind him instead of having to face them. So I feel like that narrative is going to be flipped this year as well. So we I'm with you. I'm really excited to see him and, uh, and to hear from him here, hopefully this week. Yeah. And again, I mean, we keep on repeating it. It's not that far off now. I, I think that we both are in the process right now of kind of going onto those websites and finding those flights and thinking about all, all that stuff for the dates we're going to be down there. It's not far off into the distant future anymore. It's next month. Yeah. And, you know, next month, it's not going to be uh, 15 degrees or 10 degrees or whatever <laughs> it is here. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be nicer, but I, I can't know, wait. It's, uh, it's almost here, obviously, at least currently. We have the Michigan National Championship in football to keep us going, Nate. But, you know, in case the glory ever fades from that for you, uh, at least Yankees baseball will be back soon. Well, you've got that. I've got my Rutgers pinstripe bowl victory, which I'm still uh, basking in the glow of. I had a nice conversation with Greg Schiano yesterday to put a bow on that. So we'll have that interview in our first magazine, which will be on sale during the first home game down at George M. Steinbrenner Field, less than... Uh, less than two months from now. Well, that is awesome. We still have one more episode coming up with content from the Legends of Baseball Cruise. Obviously, if you are interested in information about next year's Legends of Baseball Cruise in December of 2024, you can go to com. But two weeks from now, we will have the final episode from the ship. And then after that, we are in February. And then we are really, really, really into prepping for the 2024 season. Nate, until then, great chatting. Speak to you soon. Sounds good. Hi, this is Carlos Redon. For more stories like these, be sure to pick up Yankees Magazine. You can get a copy the next time you're at the ballpark or by calling 800-GO-YANKS or visiting yankees.com slash publications. Thanks for listening. The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Brian Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, you can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks.